at, uh, I want to make sure to remind you guys that this is about Abraham. This is about Abraham and the covenant that God has with him, all right? So when, we, when we're looking through this, we're now at the point where Abraham is Abraham. He's no longer Abram. And Abraham has made a good few mistakes uh, up to this point in his life. There has been some things that he's messed up on. There's been some problems so far. But a couple weeks ago, Johnny talked a little bit about when Abraham talked to God. And God was talking about how Sodom and Gomorrah, how they were going to be condemned, how they were these places that had to be taken, that had to be taken down because they were so unrighteous. And Abraham comes to him and says, well, what about those that are righteous? And we talked about how God doesn't change his mind, but rather acts accordingly within his plan. And we talked a little bit about how uh, Abraham wasn't the, didn't do anything to change God's mind, but ultimately that God is working the way that he sees fit, the way that he needs to. So today we are going to continue, but before we do that, I want to build a little scenario for you. And I got, want you guys to think about this, right? So you're in high school, and you are doing pretty well, like... You are successful, you're popular, like you have friends in like all the different friend groups around the school. Um, you have really good grades, like you have like a 4.0. Um, you are now a junior, let's say, and you're kind of looking forward to see where you want to go to college, all right? So you're thinking about college, you're thinking about like what your future holds, and there's like maybe this Ivy League school or maybe this dream school that you got, you're wanting to go to. And so you kind of, that's kind of on the board, that's kind of on the table, and so you apply, and you get a call from the school after you applied, and they say, hey, we really like you. We like the fact that you're social. We like the fact that you're doing really well in your grades. We like the fact that ultimately, like, you're doing, like, pretty good stuff. The only thing is that if you want to come here, you have to give up any sort of Christian value that you have. Like, we're kind of, we're not really playing that game. We don't really want to, like, we don't want to dip our toe in that. So if you want to come here, if you want to come to this dream school, then you're going to have to basically give up faith, or at least while you're at school. The question comes down to, are you willing to do that? And some of you might be like, no, like I wouldn't do that. But in reality, if you're faced with that situation, would you do it? And that's kind of what we're going to be looking at today is somebody that is good, that has like that is successful that is ultimately like maybe considered righteous but in the world dies and not in God's eyes so we're going to be looking at Genesis 19 today and I want to warn you right now like this is a pretty long chapter um it's not a fun story this is not one that's like hey like it's really easy to talk through it's really easy to do but it's something that's important nonetheless and so as we go through this I kind of want to give you guys a little bit of a trigger warning. Um, there's some hard stuff in here. So we're going to talk about rape. We're going to talk about sexual assault. Um, we're going to talk about homosexuality. So if those things are hard for you, I want to give you a heads up that these are things that come up in this story today. All right? But we are looking at Genesis 19, and it's long. So some of it I'm going to kind of explain to you as we go, and some of it I'm going to read to you. All right? So where we are looking at is... Now that God has sent angels to Sodom, then these angels are going to go and they're going to talk to Lot, okay? So who is Lot? How is Lot related to Abraham? Somebody? No, not cousin. What is it? Somebody? Somebody? Nephew. Yep. 
that, that, that is Abraham's nephew, all right? And so these angels are going there to go meet Lot. So they go into the city, and they're going to, they go up to Lot's door in Sodom. And so he went away, I want to remind you, because there wasn't enough room for the place that they were staying. So when they went there, and when they went to this place where they were staying, ultimately, like, they had to find room. In Sodom and Gomorrah, they were not great places. They were pretty bad. There, there were things, and they were considered unrighteous, but Lot was kind of a stand-up citizen. Like, Lot was the guy, he was a judge, so he would go and he would sit at the, he would sit at the gate of the city and he would, like, make decisions and he would help people through things. And ultimately, like, Lot was pretty stand-up when it comes to the morals of Sodom. Like, he was just kind of a good guy, according to the city. Um, and so, when we look at this, we see that Lot is somebody that is probably just like the normal guy. He's not a bad dude, but he's not like, nothing super special. So these angels walk into the city, into the, into Sodom, and they go to Lot's door, and they like say, hey, we're here. And Lot says, oh, come in, come. I have a room for you, come stay, which is good. Like, it shows he's hospitable. It shows like he's welcoming these people in. He knows who they are. He knows that they're the angels. And the angels say, no, no, no. That's all right, we'll just stay out in the city square. And so they kind of like, all right, I guess we'll stay out in the city square. Uh, but Lot says, no, no, come inside, come inside. But when he says that, I don't want you to think about it like, hey, like, oh, no, don't, no, don't worry about it. Like, you, you, we have plenty of room. It's more like, hey, like, you, no, you should probably come inside. Like, this is, it's probably not safe for you outside. So they come inside. And ultimately, we're going to kind of see what happens. So if you guys take a look up at the screen and follow along with me, starting in verse 4, it says, But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. And they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Whoops. <laughs> yes, Bella, I am doing it. <laughs> I said, only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow came to sojourn and he became the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the, the door down. But the men, and that's what we're talking about, the angels, the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. All right, so these guys, they kind of come out of the city, all these men, and they come, to, and they come out and they come to Lot's door and they say, hey, we saw those two guys come in with you. Send them out like we want them. And when a text, when a context like this says to know somebody, that means sexually. They wanted to come out, they wanted to bring them, them out so that they could assault them, so that they could rape them. It's not like, no, this is like an easy story. This is light. No, this is real. These were vile people. They were bad. And so Lot, in an attempt to protect these two angels, goes out and says, hey, like, don't do this, like, don't touch these men. I have two daughters who have, not, who have not slept with anybody, who haven't had sex. Take them instead of these men. 
it's, how is that, what are, you, what are you doing? Like, you're giving your daughters away to protect these guys? That's your resolution? That's what you're going to do to solve this problem? And the men say it a lot, like, no, like, we took you in. You came to our city, and now we're going to do worse to you. And so the angels brought Lot back inside and blinded the men outside. They're terrible, terrible people. And Lot is not doing anything to stop them. He's not doing anything to stop them. So the angels, then after this, they look at Lot and say, hey, is there anybody else that you in this city that you want to take care of? Is there anybody else in this city that you want to make sure is safe? And so he mentions his sons-in-laws, uh, and they are like, they just don't believe him. And so what we're going to do is we're going to continue and keep looking to see what happens next. So it says, as morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor. All right, so what's happening here is these angels basically say, like, hey, God sent us here for a reason. We're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Like, we're going to destroy this place. You have a chance to take people with you that you care about and go. And so they wake Lot up and say, take your wife and your two daughters and go. And Lot doesn't want to leave. The angels literally have to pull him out and get him out of the city. And so they get him out and they pull him out and they say like, all right, you need to go to these hills. And Lot's saying, I'm thankful you're saving me, but there's no way we're making it to these hills before these cities are destroyed. And so there were three cities in the area. There's Sodom, Gomorrah, and Zor. And he said, all right, you go to this small town, you go to this small city, Zor, and you will be safe there, all right? So they send him that way, and finally, God does what he needs to do. Let's look at the end here. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. So fire starts raining down from heaven. And uh, fun fact, if you go to the place where they think that this might have been, the location where this possibly could have been, there's a lot of sulfur residue and salt there. So it's, uh, this was quite literally like things rain down on them from the sky. And as they're going, they're running away, they're getting away, and they're instructed, don't look back at that city, just look towards Zor, just go where you need to go. And so, but Lot's wife turns to look to the place, the place that she longs for, the place that she misses, the place that she doesn't want to see destroyed, and all of a sudden, poof, she turns into salt, just salt, and she just disappears. And so, the, very, the way that this story ends is they kind of get off to the city, um, Lot and his, girl, and his daughters, and on two separate evenings, 
his daughters get him drunk and wasted, and they have sex with him. And ultimately, they're doing this because they're concerned about their family line. And when they do, they have sex and they get pregnant, and they become, their lines, their kids, become the Moabites and the Ammonites, which those are the enemies of Israel, the people that are constantly threatening Israel. Like I said, this is not a light story. Like, this isn't super easy to tell. Like, I'm not coming up here and, like, excited to talk about this because it's hard. And it's not hard like the book of Daniel, if you were with us last year, that's just complicated. This is hard because it's sad. It's hard to see people so disobedient. And this whole series has been a character study. We've been doing a character study that's kind of been focusing on Abraham. But today I want to do a character study for our last little bit here about two people. One of those people is Lot. Lot is not a great person. Lot is not a great person. And we, what I want us to look at is why Lot needed to change. Like, what was the problem? Like, why did he have to change? What was the issue here? And I think some of these reasons might not be the reasons that you think. But we do have to first get out of the way that Lot did some horrible things. Lot did horrible things. He, these people were coming to take these angels, and instead of saying, hey, don't do that, stop, he says, no, take my daughters instead. What is, the, why, what is the thought process there? It's, it's selfishness. It's fear. It's saying, instead of me going out there to actively stop this, I'm just going to try to give them another resolution. Like, here, just instead of taking these guys, take my daughters. That's horrible. That's not good. Second thing is Lot is content with evil. Lot lived in a place that God wanted to destroy. And he was okay with that place. And sure, he didn't outright say, oh, like, these guys are doing the right thing. Like, what, when they're coming in here to, to hurt these men, like, that's the right call. But he's not standing there trying to stop them. He's not just saying, he's not going out there and saying, oh, this is like, this is bad. You guys shouldn't do this. He's saying, no, 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 like, uh, you, there's got to be a better thing to offer you guys. Like, I can't, I, you can't take these guys. He lived in a place, and he was at a place in his life where he at least thought these things were permissible. He was a judge in the city. Like, he was respected, and he had status, and he was probably letting things slide that wasn't God-glorifying. And part of it is, like, he was a part of God's people. Like, he was with Abraham. He knew what the calling was. He knew that there was a God that they're supposed to follow, yet... He's living with this city. He's living with this sin. He's okay with, okay with being part of this problem because he just lets it happen. Third thing is that Lot is a terrible leader. So we can't t- take this whole story into account without thinking about his family, right? That his family was completely swept up in this lifestyle. Like, as they were being taken out of the city, they were saying, no, I command you, God is saying, do not look back at that city. Look to what's ahead. Look to what's forward. There is someone better. There is something better. Look to that. But instead of doing that, and instead of listening to God, Lot's wife looks back to the place where she was, the place where her desires were, the place where her lifestyle was. And instead of looking forward to what God had commanded her, she chose to look back, and she paid the price. And then they get out of the city, 
And all of a sudden, his daughters are still living that lifestyle. They have sex with their dad. They are still living within this lifestyle. And what does Lot have to say for it? Nothing. He doesn't say anything. He was not a good leader. And he was supposed to be there with his family, leading his family. But lastly, Lot was still very invested in the life he had in Sodom. The angels came to rescue Lot. And instead of Lot sprinting out with his family, it says that he lingered. He hung out in this place. He, he didn't want to leave. He literally had to be dragged out of the city by these angels. And you got to think, like, he probably enjoyed what he was doing. It's like when you think of a kid that's, like, at their friend's house or at the play place at McDonald's, you know. They're, running, they're being pulled out kicking and screaming because all the fun stuff and all the things that they enjoy are there and they don't want to leave. That's, pro that's what Lot was doing. He was saying, no, these, this is where things have been built up. I'm successful. I was a judge. I sojourned in this place. Like, I had status. I was doing okay. And now you're taking me out of there. I want that back. He lingered in a place that was going to be destroyed. He was going to die, yet he was okay with lingering. Lot was so content with what, where he's at. See, despite all these things, despite these problems, God saved him. God still saved him. Despite him sinning, despite him disobeying, God saved him. I said that we want, I wanted to do a character study for two people, so Lot's the first one, but we're the second one. That we need change just as much as Lot does. So what, what needs to change with us? Well, it's the fact that we are all of those things too. We don't deserve to be with God. We don't deserve what God has given us. See, Sodom wouldn't, would have destroyed Lot if Lot would have stayed in Sodom. And we see this true of Lot's family, too. That Sodom, that they were taken out of Sodom, but Sodom wasn't taken out of them. That they enjoyed it, that they liked it. I think that there's times when we could be like Lot's family. Like when we come to church on Sunday, when you come to gather on Sunday night, it's real easy to put that mask on. It's real easy to say, I'm here and I'm enjoying this. I like the people around me. But when you take that mask off, like you go out and you're partying. You're smoking. You're having sex with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Or you're just like being a poor friend to somebody else. Like you're constantly like talking behind people's backs. Like tearing people down. But then when you come to church the next Sunday, that mask goes right back on. Or maybe you're like a lot. Where you think and you look at yourself and you think you're upstanding. You think you're probably righteous. Like you think that you are a good person. And that, that ultimately like when you're here, like you're like, oh look, I'm coming to church every Sunday. Like I enjoy these people. Like I'm raising my hands in worship. And then, but then when life gets hard, when God challenges your comfortability, all of a sudden you say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't know if I'm in for this. I don't know if I'm locked in for this in the long run. 
When I was in high school, that's exactly how I was. I was the person that was part of our high school leadership team when I was in youth group. Like, people would come to me for advice. Like, I liked reading the Bible. Like, I knew I wanted to go into youth ministry. Like, I thought I was hot stuff. But then, when life got hard, like, when ultimately, like, it, when, when I wanted to, like, have sex with my girlfriend or if I wanted to take it to that next step, like, I would say, oh, like, the, the, that's, uh, that's, I'm okay, I'll, I'll be fine, like, or if ultimately, like, if somebody's pointing fingers at me and saying, hey, like, why are you doing the things that you're doing with us, but you say you go to church, and I'd say things like, you know, like, uh, it's, uh, I'm supposed to be hanging out with you guys, I can, like, dismiss some of that stuff, I'll be okay. I thought that I was okay, I thought I was super righteous, because everybody looked at me, and everybody told me that I was I looked at myself and I told, me, told myself that I was righteous because I was, according to the world, like, I was a good guy according to the world. I wasn't, like, doing ter- off doing terrible things as far as I could tell because that's what the world said. And see, despite all of these things, despite the fact that we are sinful, despite the fact that we are broken, God saved us. God gave us the opportunity at life. Guys, we, we live in a pretty unique situation, especially as Americans. We live in a place where, things, where we can have quite a bit of money. Like, we can have a job and we can make quite a bit of money. Like, we could be comfortable with the things that we have. We could be comfortable with the politics that we have, or we could be comfortable with the time that we have. But ultimately, when things change, when God says, I actually think that you should give all that up and go overseas to do missions, it's like, ah, I don't know. I don't know. Or if God says, no, I think that this is something you have to give up in order to be more pure for me. I think you should be giving your money to, to, this, to this group, to this missionary. I don't know. That's, it just seems kind of hard. I don't know if that's what I should be doing. It's so easy for us to, to be comfortable, to sit in that comfortability. But God calls us not to look back at those things, not to look back at our flesh, but to look forward to the greater things that he has for us. Jesus reflects on Lot's wife. He says, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Jesus gave us the opportunity at life. He said, don't don't look back, but look to me. There is something better. If you're in this room right now, and you aren't a believer, you don't have to be left in the city. That God has given you an opportunity at life, and the cost is high. The cost is to give up everything, to give up your comfortability, to give up the things that you enjoy, to give up some of those things that like, you know probably aren't the best for you, but you really like them. But I want to tell you right now that if you stick with those things, if you hold so tightly to those worldly things, the only thing that comes after that is death. But Jesus promises life. God saves us. What we are called to do is come to faith in him, to look forward, to be for him, to look to him. And I'm telling you right now that if you are a believer in this room, don't look back to what you had before Christ. 
Don't be like Lot's wife and look at the things behind you. Look at those things that you enjoyed before Jesus. Look at those things that you, you want to look at that lifestyle that you had and said it was so easy. It was so fun. But I'm telling you right now, don't be like Lot's wife, but look forward to who is better and to what is better. And that's God. That's Jesus. He gave his life for you so that you could have life. So when we think about that story, when we think about what's come out, come out of this, when we think about that illustration that I gave you at the front end, if you were put in that situation, truly think to yourself, is it worth it to have more worldly things, to have success, to have wealth, or is it more worth it to hold on to what Christ has called you to be and what he's called you to do? Really think about that. I'm going to pray for you guys, and then we're going to move into a time of discussion. All right? So you bow your heads with me. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for the time that you've given us, Lord. It's a hard passage. It's a hard thing to come to terms with. But, Lord, help us to see fruit. Help us to understand what it looks like to truly and fully pursue you and to give up that old way of life, but to actually repent and see your son and his work on the cross and what he did for us. And I pray. Amen.